Welcome back to another hour of Scotch Hour. My name is Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, so this evening's lineup, we have Craig Alecki's, uh Armagnac cask, followed by our shout-outs and get-it-togethers. Our restaurant review is Golden Flame Wings. And our uh, Smarty Challenge this evening is going to be a movie review of Sound of Freedom. Um, before we do jump in to the Scotch real quickly, thank you for all of our new subscribers on YouTube and rumble we greatly appreciate that and to all of our listeners on on the many different uh podcast platforms that you can find us on thank you for listening to us please like and share and comment on uh on our uh, show here we we greatly appreciate that that does help with uh with the algorithms and uh getting us uh, a little bit more uh views and uh please uh hit that share uh, or sorry, please hit that subscribe button uh, as we are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. All right, well, on the Craigalucky. Craigalucky. <laughs> 13 year Armagnac finished. Single malt scotch whiskey from Speyside. Um, Edward and Mackey are the founders here of the Kregelke and Armagnac. This is interesting because we have a, an Italian finished influence here with the Armagnac um, barrels. So as this is first aged, it's aged in ex-bourbon barrels, and then it's aged in ex-sherry barrels. Uh, Kregelke is known <laughs> for their sherry influence with their scotches. Uh, their 13 years become really their standard as far as they do have a 17 year um, but they don't have a wide spectrum a wide range there's not a 10 year or uh, a, a great number of years that are readily available um, they have really focused on their 13 year version here it is a lightly peated scotch which uh, a lot of space side distilleries buck they don't so much want that peat in their scotches but Kregelicki does add just a little bit of uh, peat in there and they're known for being sulfurous now part of this sulfurous influence could be why they do age it the 13 years again usually presented with a heavy sherry influence um, and that sulfur can be quite well integrated with the sherry um, rather than having those off sulfur notes that are pretty disruptive if you will with the scotch this particular single malt is 46 percent abv um, the standard 13 year old offers a lot of flavor for the price point um, this one typically a little bit more than the standard 13 again uh, has an armagnac uh, influence that armagnac influence is believed to give it somewhat of a cinnamon um, spice flavor 
after the front of the palette is introduced. Um, Craig Ellicke itself, uh, where does the name come from? Well, uh, Gaelic word Craig Ellicke means rocky hill. And it's from that that this whiskey takes its name, standing alone, perched high on the rock of Craig Ellicke, uh, the craggy rock upon which the village stands. The distillery overlooks the confluences of the River Fittick and Spey in the heart of Speyside. Uh, Designed by the celebrated Victorian architect Charles Doig, Craig Ellicke was built in 1890 by a consortium led by Alexander Edward and Peter Mackey. Production commenced in 1891. Uh, Peter Mackey owned Lagavulin and Whitehorse Blend and built Craig Ellicke to suffice the blend. Uh, again, back then, blends were all the rage. Single malts were not the focus as times have uh, ebbed and flowed with the interest. We are very much a focused single malt scotch family now. Um, Alexander Edwards was only 25 years old when his family owned Benrin's Distillery. Uh, the main water source is the Alco Burn. And I may have butchered the pronunciation of that water source. Um, this one in particular, the 13-year-old Bas Armagnac cask, inspired by Oh, are there worm tubs? Um, they've sourced casks from other producers of oak aged spirits who also employ worm tubs to make their liquid wares. The first is uh, the Craig Ellicke cask finishing collection in our award winning 13 year Craig Ellicke single malt finish of Armagnac, Boston Armagnac cask, sourced from the northmost part of Gascony in France. Yeah, uh, I was about to ask, because I, I think you confused me, because you said something about Italy, but I was going to say it's French, right? Armagnac, yes. Yeah, because like, uh, it comes from, um, it's a type of brandy, So, and you're a real big brandy fan. Uh, is, is that correct? Or I, do, I do enjoy a good brandy, more so cognac. Yeah, so cognac is a region in France that makes brandy, and then Armagnac is a type of brandy, so it's similar to uh, cognacs. Um Typically, uh, I've always found them to be a little bit more on the sweeter side. So, um, but uh, as far as like tours go, I couldn't really find any information on Craig Key. I know they uh, actually have tours of the of of the distillery, but I couldn't find anything on their website about about it directly there. But on like some other websites, they do mention that you can book one. So I think you just have to contact them directly to set up a, a tour. You did briefly mention how they're um, how they employ the worm tubs, right? I um, mean, that's part of the reason they went with the Armagnac finish, um, the worm tubs. So a bunch of copper tubes inside of giant wooden tubs where the whiskey is cooled going through copper, um, which also with the sulfur in particular um, is believed that that kind of, uh, I don't know if it's the right word would be numb, but dulls some of that sulfur flavor as 
it's going through the copper coils, cooling the spirit to keep it safe and also flavorful. Armagnac is also very much known for doing this uh, with a giant wooden vessels, uh, almost like a water heater, copper tubes coiled around. Um, but the opposite is it's not heating the spirit, it's cooling it as it goes through the coils through its life and process. All right, I guess uh, let's open it up and try it out. Let's find out what this Craig Ellicke has in store for us. I do like the color of the canister. They've always done a nice job. Um, the bottle itself, no regrets, not even one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do like it. Uh, I like how they've gone a little bit. The bottle itself has a little detail, the extra stamps. Uh, man. On the back label, uh, there's a lot of wording on there. Is it just talking about the history of, of Craig Alecki or was it mentioned there on the back label? It's really talking about the worm tubs and the Armagnac cask finish. Okay. Is it also on the tin or just on the back of the label there? It's on both. Ah, okay. All right. Well, without further ado, you ready to break this seal? Yes, let's break the seal. <laughs> Said the walrus. And let's hope no mini bladders. <laughs> mini bladder. All right. Great foil. Do appreciate that. Well stamped. Real wooden topper. With some detail work on there. Is a cork pressed or? Hold it on. is pressed. All right, well, I guess it's time to do our tasting part and go into our warp speed. Cheers. Cheers. Craig Alaki, nailed it. <laughs> Craig nailed, Al it. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed uh, it. The Craig Alaki uh, Armagnac. Uh, Scotch is actually, you know, there's some like pleasant, there's some pleasant things about this particular scotch. Some things I really liked, and there's a couple areas where uh, maybe I don't like uh, because of the some of the spiciness I get from it. Um, but to really go into it to begin with, um, the presentation, I enjoy the canister itself. I like the color. It's kind of like what, uh, like an offset white or grayish color from what i can uh, tell maybe hint a mint green in there is it mint green just a hint okay just a hint. <laughs> All right. but otherwise yes i agree with you gray <laughs> uh i don't really know my color skills all that well but <laughs> i do like it and i like how they i uh, kept that same color with the labeling on there as well uh having a wooden top i i like that as well what i really would like to see is like and I don't think we've ever seen this, and I don't know if any uh, Scotch company does this yet, distillery does it, but wouldn't it be kind of cool to see, like, a wax instead of a foil one time? Kind of like, you know how, like, Maker, Maker's Mark uses a, a wax 
um, ceiling rather than foil. I would almost kind of like to see that one time on a uh, on a single malt scotch. But you know that'd be like next level type of thing, maybe possibly. And I'm not really sure if that really kind of goes along with most scotch, like the image of scotch in general. But it's a it's a good point because the wax seal ultimately is to create that next level of barrier between air and water. So typically, you originally saw it on great bottles of wine where they're really trying to do their thing, and then Maker's Mark throws it on there. Who the hell's saving a bottle of Maker's Mark? No one. <laughs> exactly. And if you really think about it, like back. Uh, you know, I don't know when when they created foils, but I, I'm pretty sure they weren't doing foils all the time on scotches way back when. No. So I would think, you know, sealing it with wax would be kind of cool. Uh, if, if some scotch company decided to do that one time, that, that'd be like next level for me. But It would be great, especially if when the wax was cooling, they stamped their insignia in the exact, wax. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> all right. I, you know, I got a little bit off, uh, off track there. But in any case... Um, I do like it. I do like the presentation. It's nice. It's kind of classical. The one thing I don't like too, like I don't like about the labeling so much is it seems very busy. Um, and I don't really like busyness. I, I prefer it to be a little bit cleaner. Um, but I still gave it four out of five points. Mm -hmm. Now, I do like the coloring. The coloring I put here as being a nice golden wheat color. Um uh, and I think you probably, I, I might be wrong, but I think you might be like one of the, you might say something similar to a sun-kissed uh, blonde there or something like that. But uh, I, I do I like the coloring. I gave that five out of five. So right there, we got basically nine out of ten points possible between color and presentation. Now, talking about the nose, here... When you first poured it and I, and I first got the glass when you handed it over to me, uh, what really was uh, a scent or the, like the most prominent scent that I, I smelled from the, uh, from the glass was pineapple. Mm -hmm. So I got pineapple with crisp green apple, toffee, and barley. Which I really enjoyed. I liked the aroma on this. And this this was for me the high point of the of the scotch. Mm -hmm. And I gave that twenty seven out of thirty points. I really liked the the aroma because it you know when you get like the I guess like kind of like the cleanness of like a of something citrusy like with pineapple. So you get like that sweet citrus pineapple with uh, Christmas of uh, crispness of green apple. Um, with a hint of toffee and barley, that just you know that was like ooh that this smells clean, crisp, and sweet all at the same time, and I really enjoyed it. So I, that's why I gave it twenty seven out of thirty there. And I really wish the palette matched the aroma, but to me it it didn't. I mean, when it first hit my palate, I got a touch of sweetness, but that was followed up really quickly with hints of vanilla and sour apple but that vanilla and sour apple didn't really last all that long because all of a sudden uh and it didn't feel like it was like a full bodied where it was like it was kind of a light light to medium bodied scotch and the front palate like i said it was very short with that sweetness and then the mid palate is very short but then all of a sudden like the back palate that's where the you kind of got a spike of 
of spiciness from um, what I put here was uh, ginger and maybe it's peppercorn uh, or some kind of pepper there, but it is definitely some spiciness there. But my finish, right, so you got my palate where you first get like the touch of sweetness or a hint of sweetness followed by some vanilla, sour apple. Then uh, you get like a hint of that spiciness of that ginger or whatever right there. Maybe with some pepper. And then that kind of dies down a little bit. And then I got like Honey Nut Cheerios type of flavor from cereal uh, right there in the finish. But then after that dissipated, it just had a nice lingering spicy ginger finish. Like the spicy ginger wasn't like overpowering or anything like that. But it just gave a nice long spicy ginger finish and i don't think i was quite ready for it i think it has its place um but i wasn't quite ready for that so my palette and the finish i wasn't as impressed with those two as i was with the aroma so i gave them both 25s so that gave me a total of 86 points um Maybe throughout the the, ser- uh, throughout the show, <laughs> I might bump up the finish a little bit more because I don't think I'm going to get more out of the body. But I think the finish <laughs> might develop a little bit better uh, maybe throughout the show, but we'll see. But right now, it stands at an 86, and normally I don't change my points afterwards. So um, but that's that right there. When I take it to a black, excuse me, when I take it to a black tire fair, this is a maybe. Dude, literally what I wrote. Maybe no. <laughs> this is a maybe. Because I do like the tin. I like the coloring of it. Um, the bottle's nice. Here's the thing is like, is this the impression though I want to leave with people if they try the scotch that I brought to a black tie affair? And I'm not really sure because if I'm going to a black tie fair, I think there's other bottles I re- would rather make a stance with or make an impression with. Um, the appearance-wise, yes. But it, like what's inside the bottle, I'm not sure. <laughs> so I probably lean towards no. It's but, like a Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Looks great. Half-wit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to say it's, it's a maybe. I might take it. But it just depends, like maybe what the you know what's hap- like what type of black tie affair event I'm going to. But I probably this would probably be very low on the list because um, I probably would want to make a, a different type of impression than what this bottle of scotch would leave people with. When I take it to a game night, uh, yeah, I would. Um, I think it'd be kind of you know hanging out with some buddies who drink scotch, whatever, drinking this. I think it'd just bring a different. Uh, uh, perspective of scotch or a different experience which would be nice and to enjoy during game night because i do believe um with the the aroma and the palate and even with the like the with the long lingering ginger finish it does kind of clear the palate up i mean when you eat sushi right they give you that ginger to eat to kind of cleanse the palate so i think this kind of gives you a like a like a cleansing of the palate so if you are like you know, eating stuff, having munchies during your game night or whatever, I think this could could come into play. Um, is this something I'd put on my shelf? Probably not. 
I mean, it's once again, this is a maybe. I mean, do I think it has a place on somebody's shelf? Yeah, I think it does. Would I put it on my shelf personally? Probably not, because as we've learned, I'm not like a huge fan of spicy finishes. So that's probably why I wouldn't put it on there. But if I have a friend who likes, who does prefer more spicier finishes or that kind of likes more ginger notes in their scotches, then yeah, I might have it on my shelf. So that way, when that friend came over, we could share that. Um, overall, would I recommend it? Yes, I would recommend for people to try this. At the price point that uh, I purchased it at, uh, it was on sale, which I think it was like at it was like sixty sixty five dollars. I think off sale is like roughly seventy dollars. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's worthwhile to you know to purchase. Um, I definitely would recommend trying it out. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, Craig Ellicky, thirteen year. Boss Armagnac finish, single malt, space side, scotch whiskey, 46% ABV, non-chill filtered. It's got the makings for something dynamite. And it's interesting because as we talked about, it's 13 years. The first 12 years are finishing uh, ex-bourbon and ex-sherry casks. Then that final year is finished in ex Northern region, Armagnac casks, France, not Italy. <laughs> um, with that geography, right? It's uh, it's really interesting. And it's it's got so much potential. I will say, to your point, um, I did read on... One page that it is best a week after opened. Who the hell? That's interesting because I didn't see that anywhere. It is interesting. Um, but that's not how it works. You don't open up a scotch and be like, a week from now, game night. Psh, no, you don't do that, right? Um, I understand the concept, and I will say things like the McAllen Classic Cut, the McAllen Edition 6, um, a lot, actually really every McAllen we've ever tried. Lots of other scotch houses do start great, and they finish great. I don't know they get much better. Sometimes they get a little better. Thinking that this would evolve so much in a week's period of time is something that would be very interesting to me. Uh, right there with you with the presentation. I dig the color. I like the little bit of mint in the canister, and I like the bottle. It is, as you mentioned, too goddamn busy. Like, simple it up just a little bit. And I don't think that... Uh, it said it's actually that busy. I think it's their art. Their art was just done in such a way where it looks like you're trying to read a newspaper from a distance and nobody's trying to read a newspaper while drinking scotch. Unless Ain't they nobody just got, got time for that. Well, that's because they don't even, you know, news press is dead. <laughs> right? Um, but beyond that, I do like the color. I, I do like some of the details. Some of that's great. Presentation's a solid four for me. Color, I'm right there with you, man. If there was ever a color I would call wheat or golden wheat, this is it. Golden wheat right there. Great. On the nose. As you mentioned, the nose is, for me, delightful, fresh, crisp, pineapple, uh, apple, vanilla cream, 
a little bit of smoke, a little bit of brown sugar, a hint of peach. It's got this whole melody of fresh, ripe fruits. And actually, the pineapple is syrupy. It's almost like maybe it's been grilled or browned or seared a little bit. Uh, on the palate, man, that crisp apple goes to baked apple. Uh, then comes in this little hint, uh, which I believe is supposedly from the Armagnac finish, uh, of cinnamon. And I don't mind the cinnamon. So I don't mind that piece of the spice. Uh, then it goes to caramel toffee creaminess vanilla and then comes in the finish so for me that nose man that nose is a win that's a it's not perfect but it's great it's a 27 uh the nose is a 27 just like for you the palette for me the front of this palette is the win the baked apple cinnamon creamy caramel oh brown sugar and for me, the palette's a 28. The palette was absolutely the win for this, that front palette in particular. Then comes the finish. And I'm not sure you said it the same way as I will say it, but I think you were thinking the same thing I am thinking is, man, this finish is where it leaves me wanting. For me, the finish is a 24. Overall, my score, 88. Um, and it's because... The finish leaves me so thirsty. It's like that soda in the summer where you take a sip and at first it's like, this is great. And then as soon as you take the glass or the can away from your lips, you dry out. But not in a good way. It's not that dry, earthy. It's And this may be the sulfur. I don't know. Um, but there is something there that leaves me wanting and that's where this could have been a 90 for me but the finish leaves me wanting uh, a 24 for the finish the 28 for the power 27 nose five for color four for presentation 88 total and it's funny that you said would i take this to a black tie because at first i wrote maybe just like you said literally maybe and then at the end though my answer was no and here's why as you said, do I want people to remember me by the finish of this scotch? Now, <laughs> if that's what they remember, they have one sip and they're trying not to get too loaded because maybe it's their daughter on the floor or their son or daughter-in-law, son-in-law, somewhat. They're trying to enjoy everything, take it all in. And at first, this is delightful. And then it's like, what the fuck am I drinking? <laughs> Like, how did this go downhill so fast? What did this guy just pour in my glass? And that's where I say, no, I wouldn't take it to a black tie affair. Not because of the presentation, solely because of the finish. Same with game night for me. Is With a game night, I don't want people having that same sensation of everything's going good and they have a sip and everything's great. And then they're like, something ain't right. We're playing risk. I feel like you're trying to poison me. <laughs> and no, I'm not saying the scotch is that bad. It's just not something I'm bringing to a black tie event. It's not something I'm bringing to a game night. Um, and ultimately, there are so many other scotches 
um, that I would rather have on my shelf that right now there's not a place for this one on my shelf. The regular Craig Elegy 13, I think there is. Um, and it's interesting because I love a good cognac. This Armagnac finish does leave me wanting because solely of the finish. Um, and man, yeah. Trying not to compare one lady to the others. There are so many other ladies I'd bring to that wedding or that black tie event. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so. Honestly, I'd probably bring one of the McCallans or one of the Dalmores. <laughs> Dalmore, McCallan, maybe a few of the Ardbegs or Lagavulin's, depending some on the like wedding. Glimmerangies. Mm. Tale of Forest. Yeah. Absolutely. There are a lot. And again, I actually don't it's not the presentation that's key it, this is a pretty lady i just don't want her opening her mouth at the black tie event <laughs> she's got fugly teeth <laughs> it's just not don't the teeth. smile and don't it's, speak it's not the teeth it's not when she ate it's when she finished <laughs> I'm going to just give the shout out to once again, Max Verstappen, the Silverstone Grand Prix qualifying and race. Well done. You seem like the one person amongst the whole field where there was no drama when it was raining or it wasn't. So well done consistency. There is something there that I do believe comes with maturity, a great car aerodynamics, the whole package. You've got it right now. You better be appreciating it. We don't always have that. Just ask Lewis Hamilton. And uh, yeah, that's my shout out. Well, I was going to go with Max for stopping as well. So <laughs> we'll just tell that up as the two, uh, two shout outs to Max for stopping. And uh, we'll just mosey on along to uh, any, uh, Get it togethers. Oh man, um, no get it togethers right now. Not this week. I imagine you have one. Uh, I forget who it was. Somebody from the Biden administration once again. Sometimes you have to realize they let the truth slip out. But they were making a comment about how the uh, they said something about the Ukraine initiative was a total failure. And then someone from the media tries to correct the spokesperson. And they're like, they're like you mean Russia? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, you, the Ukraine thing was a total failure. And he's like, and then the media goes, you mean Russia? And he's like, oh, see, it's a Monday. I guess, yeah, it, it's it's Russia's thing that was a failure. But I I, I didn't really like it. This is just coming off the top of my head. I, couldn't, I can't remember who said that from the Biden administration. But that happened earlier today. And uh, But in any case... They just need to get their whole act together. This week's restaurant, Golden Flame Wings at Lincoln and Jordan in Parker, Colorado. Yeah, so... This particular place, Golden Wings, um, you've been to in one of their different locations yes. before. You mentioned that they were pretty decent wings. Yes. Um, and I like chicken wings. Actually, I haven't eaten any chicken wings in probably like four or five months. So I was kind of craving wings, even though I didn't go with I didn't go with the bone-in wings, but I did go with the 
10 uh, piece wing and beer special or meal, which comes with your choice of fries, 10 wings. You can either choose uh, boneless or bone in and a beer. And so I went with that special there. Um, and I got the uh, beach fries, which is salt and malt vinegar. Uh, I'm not really sure why they call them beach fries because. When I think of the beach, I think more of like California and stuff like that. And I don't really see them using malt vinegar and salt as much as I do see that some somewhere out like out and like England, like UK, Ireland, and on the East Coast. Well, they have beaches there too. Well, they do, I guess. <laughs> but that's not right. You know, when I think of like beach time, You're I'm thinking, thinking like West sunny. Coast beaches, not East Coast beaches. Yeah. All right. Something more sunny and warm and. Um, but it was, I like the fries. The fries tasted good. Uh, not probably not the best fries I've ever had, but they were, they're definitely tasty. The, uh, boneless wings I thought were kind of weird, uh, because they come on, they come like these little round balls. Um, and so goat medallions. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not really sure about the whole, like why their boneless wings are in balls, but, um, the sauces were good. The only problem I had with the boneless wings and and this like the barbecue sauce with the barbecue sauce I got that was great. Uh, but with the uh, golden flame, I think that's what it was the golden flame sauce. Yes, it kind of soaked up the sauce with the uh, with the breading that they had on these uh, boneless wings, and uh, it, it wasn't like the sauce was like dripping off of there like I kind of would like on a like a on my chicken wings. So I wouldn't recommend that with the boneless wings. I think if I were to ever go back to the place, um, I would have to just go with the bone-in wings instead of the boneless wings. There's some places where I think the boneless wings are better than the bone-ins, but in this particular case, I didn't have the bone-ins, but I definitely would venture to guess that the bone-ins are better. Um, uh, one thing I didn't, I didn't like about the place is that you have to – order up front and then you go to the table uh, and then they bring you your food and you have to walk over to the bar area, bar area and get your beer. Um, I would rather just have a waitress come up to me uh, to the table where I'm sitting at. Um, so I didn't really like their setup there at this particular place. I'm not sure if it's the same at the other locations, but I don't, I didn't like how it was set up here at this location. Um, it does kind of give you like that sports book type of feel, like wings in like a like going to like a sports pub. But if I'm gonna go to a sports pub, I'm gonna go to a sports pub where I have like a waitress coming up to my table so I can watch the game and not worry about like having to go to different locations. And uh, it just feels kind of weird the way they do it and how they ask you for the tips and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm not really a big fan where you order up front. And then you go sit down to your table, and you know they kind of call your call your call your call. Like they didn't really call out our food to us, but they it just didn't seem like a very traditional type of wait waiting area or like wait staff or however you want on the restaurant. I don't know. I just didn't like that aspect of it. Um, however, their staff was friendly. So uh, this, I, I'm not even sure if I would call this middle tier. I think. It's somewhere between like fast food and middle tier, um, or low end middle tier, I guess. It's basically fast food when you have to order at a counter. Yeah, 
Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not sure what I would They don't want to consider themselves fast food the same in the, as boat as Wendy's or McDonald's or Taco Bell, but that's what they are. Yeah, with the way how they do the ordering. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. So, uh, the, the employees there, I'd say they're, they were friendly, but if I was going to say, like, the wait staff, wait staff, I'd give, like, a two. But if I'm talking about their employees or their staffing there, I give them about an eight. Because, like, I didn't really consider them, like, true waiters or waitresses. Like, no one came walking by to see if everything was fine. Um, the food. Actually, I liked the food. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. So I'm going to give that, like, a seven. The atmosphere, I did like the kind of like the, you know, like a sports pub kind of look inside. But the, the huge detractor to me is the way how you had to go to one area to order your food and then another area to go pick up your beer. And I just did not like that. Um, and I think that's a detractor from like how the interior is in itself. So I, I'm kind of torn here. So I'm going to give that like a, I guess I'm going to give it like a six. <laughs> Because um, I wouldn't go just there to go watch a sports game and eat and eat uh, wings. I'd rather just go to a regular sports pub and eat wings. Um, so I guess the atmosphere and everything like that, I'm just going to give it like a six all around. I wasn't like super thrilled about the place. I mean, maybe it's fun to go. Like, would I meet a, a date there? No. Not really, unless that's the place that she wanted to go to. But then I'm not sure if that's the person, you know, whatever. When I meet friends there. Yeah, I probably would meet a friend there, but it's not like it's... I probably would make a suggestion for us to go somewhere else. Um, yeah, overall, it is a destination spot. I think it's an anti-destination <laughs> spot. <laughs> I would not go there. I don't like... I, I probably will end up going there one more time just because of the convenience and the location, but I'm not sure if I'd be very happy about going there another time. So, yeah, I guess overall, I'm giving it a six. Uh, if you do want to try out the place, I didn't give it the most stellar uh, review, but maybe Jesse might have different points of views and he might give it a better review or maybe not. I don't know. But uh, if you do like, if you do want to give the place a try, I think it's worthy of giving it a try. I think, you know, life is about experiences. And regardless if I like a place or not, um, I think all of you should go try go try places because life is about experiences and you should try it out just for yourselves. And if you do go there, let them know you heard about uh, heard about them on Scotch Hour. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I don't know my review so different. Golden Flame Hot Wings, Parker, Colorado, on Lincoln at Jordan. Uh, man, I, much like yourself, had a 10-piece uh, meal with beer, and I paid for the upgrade to get the green monster fries. Wish I hadn't. Um, not that they were bad, but, man, that green monster sauce was hot, and it did say so on the menu. I just didn't think it was going to be all that hot. In the past, I've had the garlic fries and the cheese fries both. So much better than the green monster fries, but man, gotta love green chili. Gotta try it. Gotta try it. And then the jalapenos, picky jalapenos, actually were pretty damn good. Uh, but what I will say is, as is typical with a piece, uh, you know, an order of wings, I had the 10 piece bone in with my Voodoo Ranger Hazy IPA uh, for me before. And it's, I agree with you, it's weird that 
a company has people requesting tips when they're not actually serving you. Um, that's where it does get weird. Uh, but right around the $32 price point for fries, 10 wings and a beer, not terrible, not great. We've had better. Um, that's where the rest of the experience really comes in. Uh, the blue cheese was great. My celery looked like it had been in our fridge for a month. You know, like when you get that lettuce in there for a week and it starts just to literally disintegrate. That's how the edges of my celery were, which was terrible. Uh, that probably was honestly not food safe. So that's not great at all. Um, but I loved my wings my wings were great um, but again this falls into a fast food spectrum here because of the way you order at a counter and then you wait for your food you, even the beer we have to go pick up ourselves uh, for me the food overall the wings were great the celery was terrible um, the fries were mediocre overall because the wings were so great the food actually gets a seven the service for me a five because to your point you don't really expect much from a fast food restaurant, and that's what we got. We didn't get anything. Atmosphere for me ultimately was a five. Um, and what this location was missing was more of the outdoor seating come the end of the workday, outside, outside evening. To me, that would have been, uh, it would have really helped the atmosphere here. Atmosphere of five, destination, absolutely not. Would I go there and meet friends there? Man, you got all sorts of restaurants burgers bourbon and brews just down and around the corner um you got pizza calzones and prosciutto wrapped jalapenos and i'd go anywhere else in that parking lot before i would go there destination no uh no for friends no for dates uh value wise ultimately a six um, total for me, value is a six. What I will say is not this destination, not this location, um, but there are other locations that have larger outdoor seating areas, particularly in Aurora, and they are perfect in the evening during the summer when the temperature is going from 75 to 70-ish later in the evening, typically here in Colorado, 8 p.m., maybe 8.30 p.m., maybe even 9 p.m. The sun's finally setting, uh, and as that's happening, it's perfect to go sit outside with a beer, and it doesn't matter that you had to go grab and, you know, go to a counter and order all your food because you're sitting outside and you're just cooling off and enjoying the evening, and it's wrapping up typically on a weekend. Um, but, man, I don't see this business model being something very successful long run i don't understand um, how they will succeed so ultimately uh do i what i recommend man now Smarter Challenge. This week's Smarter Challenge was for us to uh, watch and review the movie Sound of Freedom. Now, this is a uh, a real life or uh, based on real life movie of Tim Ballard and his experience of working with Homeland Security and coming across, uh, or I guess dealing with uh, human trafficking with children and then finally 
getting to a point where he couldn't just like just bust the bad guys and ended up uh, wanting to save the children because he got to a point of like we're not doing any good just by busting the bad guys. We got to save these children type of thing. And that's that's kind of like the I guess kind of like this the basis of this movie is like him getting involved into um, how him and his organization has come along into being one of the major players in saving children from human trafficking. So I guess to start off, like, what was your overall impression of the movie? Uh, what I will say about my overall impression of the movie, watching it, the movie itself is impactful. Uh, there is emotion there, especially as a parent, man, even if you're not a parent, but especially as a parent, uh, there is an impact on a real world problem that most people don't want to hear about, let alone talk about face or try to confront. Uh, and when we talk about human trafficking, particularly child trafficking, and this is so ugly and it's disgusting and we take so much for granted in America, but it is a real problem that no one, no one denies that this is a real problem. That's but, how you know it's a real problem. Yeah, there's literally no one that's saying, oh, no, there's no human trafficking. Like, everyone is saying uh, there are more human slaves now than there ever were in the peak of slavery in the 1800s. And it is disgusting to think about um, how we haven't been able to impact the safety of children in particular. How about yourself? What's your initial... Purview. Well, here's the thing with with Tim Ballard. I mean, it is a, it was exactly what I kind of sort of expected. Maybe not like how they did the total storyline, but I've known about Tim Ballard because I do listen to some alternative media stuff. Um, so I've heard him be interviewed by Glenn Beck. I heard interviews with him and Alex Jones. Uh, I've I've heard him uh, on interviews with. Uh, uh, with other, um, I guess, uh, content uh, creators, if you will, on Rumble or on YouTube before they did their mass censorship on YouTube. So I've known about Tim Ballard for a while and uh, and what his organization does and a little bit about his backstory. So this movie wasn't a huge surprise to me, um, but it is a very impactful movie. I do think... I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't care if you're a liberal or if you are a conservative. I think the one fact uh, or the one part of this movie that should be impactful for no matter what your political beliefs are is that children should be protected. And if we can save children from these type of predators, we should. Um, and... One of the things that I, I believe it's mentioned in the movie somewhere, I don't remember if it's at the beginning or near the end or where it was, but it's for how great some people might think the United States is or you know how people might be proud of our country. I know some are not, but I found it very surprising, and maybe I shouldn't, that 
the United States is like the number one area for child trafficking. Destination. Destination, yeah. Yes, not where it starts, but where it ends. Which I found like that's pretty that's pretty sad to come from, you know, to think about our country and that and that how uh, at this point in time, uh, basically like human trafficking is slavery and it's like more prevalent now than it has been in the past. But it's such a hush hush thing that no one really I guess it's so so terrible, so disgusting, so hush hush. Everyone knows that it exists as you're mentioning, but no one ever wants to talk about it. And part of having given it much consideration, part of that struggle is it's not American children. They're being abducted, stolen, enslaved, uh, trafficked to other countries. It's these other children. So we're not feeling the same impact, even though we know it's a real thing. If these were American children, it would be an entirely different story. Yeah, but there's still like I, I forget what the figure is, but it's, there's still a lot of like a lot of children that get uh, kidnapped and uh, are trafficked in the United States as well. American children? Yeah, American children. <laughs> I think it's something like over a hundred thousand children go missing every year, and that's a lot. And that in itself is dumbfounding, if you will, because why don't we hear about that? We hear about let's see. How many shootings have there been where people were shooting people? And why did that hit the news, but not every single one of these 100,000 missing children? Yeah, and I think that low that number is actually low. I think it's, uh, I, I could be, it's either like a 1 million or 100,000. I'm just being conservative saying 100,000. But I know I've seen that figure uh, about a year ago, and it's uh, it much higher than, I, than one would expect it to be. Again... You say it's only 10,000. Say it's only 1,000. We hear... Almost nothing. Almost nothing about that. And why is that? Um, again, why are we hearing about... And you brought up a good point earlier. Why are we hearing, hearing certain initiatives that one political party in particular wants to emphasize... And then we don't hear about it when they don't want to emphasize it. And this movie and the reviews and the things you have talked about and that we've seen reports on, this is a very conservative-focused topic. Um, other groups are less focused on it, but it is typically a, a very conservative group that wants to know like, why isn't more being done about this? Or <coughs> where did all these missing children go? <coughs> so here's a question. I was actually listening to someone talking about this very subject uh, earlier this uh, earlier today. And they're saying, like, how some, like, more liberal publications have tried to spin this off as being a, uh, a conspiracy theory. And when it was already well documented and well known that like child trafficking is a major thing, like just just even with the whole Jeffrey Epstein uh, uh, cases there, that had like he's tied in with child trafficking. Yeah, and it's weird because there's literally proof of that, but all they've done is say, "Oh, we're we're going to pay some fines here." Yeah, so 
the thing is, like, I like uh, some of these, like, uh, liberal publications or more left-leaning publications are trying to discredit this movie. And uh, the commentator was saying that those who are trying to discredit this movie, trying to, trying to deny that child trafficking is even happening, these might be the people we need to start investigating and because they might be guilty of the very thing that they're trying to discredit of saying that's ha not happening at all. Well, I think that's a really good point because in this movie and with what has been said in this movie, we're talking about 110, 150 people trafficked that were reportedly saved over the course of years. 110, 150, 150 people. And to your point... More people are trying to discredit any of the accuracy of this movie than give any credit to this trafficking is real. He's not saying he saved a hundred thousand people, a million people. He's saying he was involved in and was part of saving trafficked people in the amount of 110 to 150. In this movie, which is actually bloated from what he said in real life, he did not try to claim saving that many people in real life. However, we also know that number is is a penny in a bucket of $100 bills for what trafficking really has gone on. And there are so many people focused on trying to discredit this movie and Tim Bollard as opposed to just saying, okay, it's a problem, dude. Your facts aren't, guess what? Every movie that is based on true events is also loosely based on true events. It has to be. If anything, this is one of more the more accurate ones in the sense of he's not saying he saved hundreds. Like, remember the movie uh, The Transporter? Right. That guy saved more human trafficked people in his Transporter 2 um, then Tim Baller's claiming to save, and no one challenged that. There's a problem when the press and the media is trying to challenge the accuracy of a, a an individual and a subject as opposed to saying this is a real problem. Hey, this guy may not be... Like, wh why attack someone who did do some good and is trying to make a statement and make a difference. Yeah, and give you a little bit of background. Tim Ballard, right? He uh, first worked for the CIA for one year, and then Homeland Security was uh, created. And from that, after that one year, he moved over to Homeland Security and worked at Homeland Security for 12 years. And he actually got to the point where, once again, he could no longer handle just stopping the end user of child pornography and stuff like that and he cool. wanted he, he wanted to save the children after 12 years of, of doing this and i think you kind of in the movie right you you catch like the tail end of of his time with homeland security or it, i don't think it really develops like how long he has really been doing uh like are going after like child you know people who exploit children and buy child pornography and that type of stuff uh and so, 
you finally see like his like I guess one of his partners or whatever. He's like, how can you handle doing this? Like, how could you have done this for so long? Like, this is like too painful to do. Yeah, he's like, I've done this. I haven't even done this in a year, and I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and Ballard's done it for like twelve years, and finally he he goes and uh, ends up saving the first child or whatever, and that just kind of created the whole like snowball effect for him going into uh, to save more children, and the homeland security. And I think rightfully so told him like, Hey, you can't be using up all of our resources to do this, especially when it's in another country. Cause <clears throat> we're, as you had pointed out, a lot of these children who are being abducted, um, are, is happening in other countries. Uh, a good, a good place to look at something like this. Um, and I, I I'm stepping into some like iffy territory Bloody here. Ground. Um, <laughs> But there is there are some groups who believe that the Clinton Foundation, uh, their work in Haiti, had resolved had had revolved around children uh, children being trafficked from Haiti. But uh, you can take you can do your own research and look into that and, and stuff or whatever. But for this particular movie, it really just follows Ballard when he. Uh, in his time in uh, Department of Homeland Security, gets fired from. He basically resigns because they gave him an option to either come back to the states or, you know, if he wants to keep doing what he's doing, he's going to have to like resign. So he resigns. And I think was it at Columbia? Is that where he was? Columbia. So in Columbia, and so he teams up with like a couple other people and ends up saving uh, a bunch of children off of this island. I think it was like thirty or forty children. He ends up saving. Uh, that particular sting, uh, and like that, that right there, kind of created his the beginnings of his uh, organization in saving children. Um, I know you said you found some interesting facts of people trying to discredit him, or did you want to mention those, or did we kind of touch, touch that enough? Well, it's just interesting. Uh, some of the other things they really tried to discredit were whether or not these were human trafficking victims or people who were having consensual, illegal, for money sex. Like, at the end of the day, if you're told you do or don't do this, you live or you die, if you value your life and you have any hope you will do it, and all of a sudden it becomes consensual. Uh, that's disgusting to me either way. Well, how is a nine-year-old going to be say that's going to be consensual if they're frightened for their lives? Well, that's just it. Like, once they don't stop it, right? Once they're not killed because of it, it's consensual. It's, it's disgusting. Um, yeah, and they talk about... There's an alarming lack of understanding about how sophisticated criminal trafficking network must be approached and dismantled, um, which is true. It is that complex because there are so many politics, whether or not people want to face it involved. It is ugly. Big money, big problems. So here, when you think about this, right, we've had some issues at our southern border. Where children, this is kind of like a, a kind of a, a, in our southern border, there's the cartels in Mexico. And I think it, I believe it was stated in this movie that the cartels are starting to move away from drugs and trying to go more into uh, trafficking children because they can make 
billions of more money, billions of more dollars, uh, having these children become select, basically sex slaves. Because they can use them, have like, they can have like sex up to like ten times a day, and then uh, and then move them on to like another location, and so on and so forth. Well, and nobody wants to face that, right? Like, everyone says, "Oh no, don't don't worry about that. That will never happen." Um, ten years ago, oh marijuana, shh, don't worry about that. That'll never happen. Five years ago, mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms legal? No, no, don't worry about that. And then you have more and more countries around the globe where sex workers and sex work is illegal, including Australia. Like prostitution, 100% legal. Um, hmm. Do you want to keep growing and trying to transport and get in trouble and get killed for illegal crop growth or something that you see is no different than marijuana or psychedelic mushrooms where eh, it'll probably just become legal someday very soon? Disgusting. It is. Um, and then so going also to my, my point here with the cartels, we have all these people who are coming across the border, and the uh, they've they've lost track of something like eighty five thousand children, and so basically, you have to start questioning even our government. Like, how are you allowing these children to come into our country with no parental, I guess, units? Uh, I don't know, parents. And then all of a sudden you lose track of 85,000 of them. Like, uh, what's happening here? Like, you can't possibly tell me that they're just disappearing and they're okay. Well, and, you know, things to keep in mind, always do your own research, find out, uh, unless you have where you got this number from. But the- uh, it's, it's from the... Uh, Department of Homeland Security, and uh, this was uh, one of the senators who, this was during a a Senate uh, committee hearing. All right, so if you want more details, email Noah. He'll get you that Senate committee hearing. I sent it to you, too. (laughs) Right, I'm just saying, if you want the details, I don't remember the, the date. I do remember seeing the hearing where the senator is asking what happened to these kids, but here's the point that I want to make, which is, man... Trump didn't even create these camps. <laughs> Obama did. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of immigrants trying to cross a border illegally being parked into him. And everyone knew every number of how many illegal immigrants were in these camps day in and day out during <laughs> Trump's presidency. And I'm not saying go vote for Trump. I'm just saying it's interesting to me that during a certain candidacy, everyone knew how many people day in and day out were being added to these camps. And then a year later, not only is, do we not know how many people were in these camps anymore, but there's 80,000 plus possibly missing. Uh, how, how did that happen? And, and why does this change depending on presidency? That is a real problem. So it happened approximately on April 18th. And as uh, Senator Biggs, when he was uh, interviewing someone from the Department of Health and Human Services, and it, it was 85,000 children that were 
lost by so, so here's the point though and, and i think you would agree is particularly during the last uh during the presidential election where biden supposedly got elected president um everyone knew how many illegal immigrants were in those camps every single day but then a year later eighty-five thousand kids are missing right how how like I am not actually asking how. We all know the answer. Do your own research is my point, but realize there are people in power at play, and we don't want to face it. We don't want to admit it, but it's real. It is. Um, also, I thought uh, Jim Caswell, who played, he played the, he's the actor that played Tim Ballard. Um, he, I, I, I think I, that's how you pronounce it. Cap, yeah. Jim Cavizel. 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 He's like a Giselle. He's like a Giselle. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I thought he did a good job at, uh, in this movie. Um, I liked him a lot from uh, like the Count of Monte Cristo. Some of you guys might know him from uh, the Passion of Christ uh, that he did with uh, Mel Gibson. But in any case, hey. he's been actually really outspoken about uh, – Ever since he's doing this movie, he's been like really outspoken about child trafficking and adrenochrome and all this stuff. Um, but in any case, I thought he did a good job. I think it's a worthwhile movie to go see. It's kind of a, like you said, it's impactful. And I would almost say it's a little bit intense. I mean, yeah, there are parts in this movie where it's a lot longer than I thought it was going to be when we went to go see it. But then there are some parts where it kind of gets a little bit slow and kind of drags on a little bit. But the... The impact and the emotions that you um, that you get from the story of him trying to save this one particular child, um, I, I think it it does deliver the message that needs to be delivered in a time when this has become such a big ordeal that needs to be addressed. I don't know. Again, in America, we're blessed. You don't, even though lots of American children go missing, this is not one of our major real life concerns. And in some countries, it is. Although it should be. I'm just, just because we're like one of the big destination points for it. And that was the, the whole point of the movie, which is he's sitting there for over a decade on the receiving side, busting people who are doing this, but never able because the initial actions are typically taken in foreign countries where he has no jurisdiction and Homeland Security has no jurisdiction, not able to make an impact of actually root cause. It's like chopping off the top half of a weed every week and just having it regrow thicker and stronger versus going to the root and getting it from the ground. Uh, Rachel Weiss, you know, she, you know, who mm -hmm. she is, right. Yeah. Uh, she's she, uh, Daniel Craig's wife. That's who she is. She was in a movie called whistleblower. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I didn't, but I've always thought it was curious that she and Daniel Craig were married. Not because I can't see it. I just see them as such different people. <laughs> but uh, in any case, that movie whistleblower that she's in, she's actually a whistleblower that works with peacekeepers from the United Nations that were, she was trying to expose because 
they were partaking in doing these uh, ab- these abductions or participating in uh, the child trafficking sex industry. So it's actually been there's like been other movies that have come out, but have not received the same type of like I think a criticism or maybe exposure as the Sound of Freedom has received. The problem is, it's just like illegal fireworks at the end of the day. This sucks, but it's true. People will keep doing it until they can't. So, yeah, her movie came out in 2010. It's called Whistleblower. Uh, all right, I guess, uh, is there anything else you want to say about this movie? I mean, we could probably talk about more stuff, but, I, I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, I would say definitely go see it and do your research. Uh, no, I mean, at the end of the day, my biggest point would be, to sum it up, it is an ugly topic nobody wants to talk about, and because of that, myself included, it's easily avoided. As opposed to confronting, if we're sitting there trying to save Ukraine from being invaded by Russia, why aren't we trying to say, if we're going to be the world police, let's save the kids. Like, start there. Save the kids. And that's it. I would say that this is a real-life problem. Um, it's much larger than people even know it is. It's an ugly topic that needs to be discussed and looked at. And you should do yourself a favor. I mean, it, see the movie. See, yeah, definitely Just see the movie. See the movie and start there. See the movie. Uh, I would almost, depending on like how old your child is, I would almost uh, advise you to see the, the movie with your children. Because here's the thing. There is a lot of abductions that happen in the United States. In fact, one of my coworkers' children from when I used to live in Utah, uh, their child got abducted at the grocery store. But luckily they had one of those like Apple like uh, Apple tags or whatever on them. Jesus. <laughs> and, and the police were able to, to retrieve them. But... Uh, it this is a it's it's a real thing. It happens all over the place. I, I mean, it's not just not just outside of the United States. It happens inside the United States, and I think, especially, I mean, it doesn't happen just to gir- like little girls. It also happens to little boys as well, and women and men. And, yep. But I think this is something that you and your children need to go see, and especially if they're old enough to see it, like not to scare them, but Jesus out of them, but just to make sure that they're aware uh, of the, of the, of their environments and what could potentially happen. I remember being like a little kid, right? And I asked my mom like, Hey, can I go check out the toy section in the grocery store? Right. Or running around. No. Like my mom used to be okay. She's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. But here's the thing. Now that I know like how dangerous the world can be, like, you know, why, you know, you should not allow your children to leave your side. And if you do, even some of these people are bold enough to try to steal them, like, right from underneath you. Like that. Well, and I think there's a piece of this movie that really emphasizes the father's role in his children's abduction. He literally drives them there or escorts them there. 
idiot. Uh, but the point that I think that you're trying to make is, hey, stranger danger. Make sure your kids are aware of this is not just something that's, we try to make kids afraid of. It happens. Not just stranger danger, but situational analysis. I mean, I don't know that kids are going to sit there and be like, oh, wait, this guy in this black van is offering no, but in this case with ice the, cream. With the, but in this case with the parent, <laughs> dude, that's definitely situational analysis. Dude, idiot move. It was. All right. Any case, definitely go see the movie. Uh, I think we kind of beat this one a little bit. I, we could talk, we could go into more in depth and talk more about it, but honestly, like, uh, for what, you know, time that we have, definitely go see this movie. The guy does live in Utah, um, but his story is very interesting. Look, start looking into him, go see the movie, have those, like, uh, you know, whatever, just go see the movie. What's the topic for next week? All right. So next week, episode 124. Man, hemming and hawing, back and forthing. Just do uh, it. Pull the trigger. Say it. Mission say it. Impossible Dead Reckoning. It's part fucking awesome. <laughs> I already saw it. I, I saw have it not. I saw it yesterday. Uh, was, it's great. I was too busy lighting off fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to take scotch photos. Just saying. Yeah. Episode 123, cardio, just saying. I mean, 122, cardio. Look at the thumbnail when it comes out. All right, with that, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And next week, Scotch, will be this port asking is a single malt Scotch whiskey. Isla? Is it Isla? Isla, yeah. And something that's interesting about this is Port Askeg is a real port that is located on the east coast of Isla and provides one of two main ferry routes to the island. It is located not far from Coal Isla Distillery and its whiskey shares many, if not the same quantities. It is considered a heavily peated Scotch whiskey and many people believe this is a no age statement, NOS Scotch, uh, that it really is just a coal aisle uh, Scotch. So next week we will be trying this. Dum dum dum. Reviewing this Mission Impossible, <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part One, and letting you know life is great. Remember that life is great, not always going to be easy. I think we've both gone through some tough things. I can't imagine that anyone isn't. You guys may just handle them better than we do. Sometimes it can be so simple as, ah, I was late to work. That was not my problem. Um, it can also be uh, friction with children. Mila, I love you. Mila and Aiden, I love you. Aiden, uh, I look forward to changing the brakes on your car with you this weekend. Um, there are a lot of things that go on in life. But remember, stay focused and do what's right. Protect yours and um, stay true to you. All right. Well, uh, thank you to everyone who watches us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you have any comments, please leave them below. And if you want to become a patient member, please hit that link down below. Uh, also, remember to drink responsibly. And until next time, same scotch time, same scotch hour. And Scotchman! Cheers. Cheers.
We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.